Hello, everybody. My name is Hannah Schramm. And my name is Emma Wickland. And this is the Hard Pressed Podcast, a brief discussion dedicated to some of the most hard-pressing issues in our society today that deserves a little bit more attention than it is getting. For today's topic, we'll be diving into public school funding and the scary effects of redlining on education. And so before we dive into this conversation today, we wanted to um, just put a little disclaimer out there. Uh, both Hannah and I are roughly the same age. We are white, we're cisgendered, we are we are from middle-class living situations. Um, we are walking into this conversation with our own set of experiences, but we wanted to report on the data and the research that is out there about these two topics um, with the hope that this will sort of deepen the discussion, the conversation surrounding these topics, because these are very, very important issues that may that may have been happening for you know decades, but we are still seeing the effects of today. Yeah, that's a great way to put it, Emma. All right, let's let's just get right into it. So one of the big questions I have with today's society is, is the American dream even still alive? You know, I've definitely found myself, you know, asking that question definitely as I got older. But how old were you when you first kind of learned about the American dream? Like, did your parents bring it up to you? Or when was the first time you knew that this was a thing, basically? So basically, when I was in high school, I was always told if you work hard, do the things you're told to do, Mm -hmm. put your mind to something that those successes will just fall in your lap, basically. Um, But when I think back to it, I actually had a really good public school education. Oh, okay, okay. I definitely, I mean, I I got um, pretty much the same message when I was growing up. I went to a private high school. Um, So the American dream definitely didn't seem like something that was too far out of reach for the majority of us. Um, But you know, it's no surprise to anybody that this concept of the Amer- of the American dream actually may be something more of a, maybe a fantasy, maybe something that everybody kind of hopes to achieve. Mm-hmm. But really, the American dream is really compromised of two things, privilege and a little bit of luck. And when it comes to privilege, you know, you're, you are not you can't just take a certain amount of privilege. You are born into a certain amount of privilege. And that privilege is based off of your race, your identity, your gender, things like that. So really, the American dream is a nice thought, but it's definitely not, it's not obtainable for everybody. Right. And when I think to it is, uh, we think back to education and how what you learn during those first 18 years of your life is really going to shape how you're going to act, how you're going to behave, how you're going to succeed. Mm-hmm. So when you think to that, it just shows how education is very important. So if our education system is inequitable, how can you achieve an American dream? Absolutely. And so that kind of brings us to that, or what our topic is going to be here about how school funding is really draws back to where you live and the amount of money your parents make and the property taxes that go into school funding. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely.
one of the big questions to ask here is how inequitable are schools within the same geographic area? Um, especially looking at St. Louis, for example, looking between their suburban communities in West County versus uh, schools in the public sector of St. Louis City. And when researching that, looking at St. Louis Public Radio, they reported that the average school spending per student in St. Louis Public Schools was around $9,826 per student. But then when looking at Clayton, Missouri and their school district in West County, they spent about a whopping $19,681 per student. And that just shows you the $10,000 gap between each student and just shows the different funding that goes into those different schools. That That's quite literally double, essentially. Right. Um, it's quite shocking to me when I first saw it. It's it's shocking to me, too. I mean, coming from somebody who lives in St. Louis County, who went to one of these private high schools, I mean, I had no idea that this really, that this raw data like this just existed. I mean, I, I knew that there were inequalities present, but I just didn't realize that when you quantify all of that, I mean, that's a huge, huge difference. Right. And I was wondering if the this funding difference played any part in the success of those students. So when you kind of dig a little bit deeper, you saw that Clayton had an 80% achievement in reading proficiency and also 80% in math. But then when you look at St. Louis public schools, on the other hand, they had a significantly lower scores of 37% achievement in math and 32% achievement in English. And that's a huge gap. Oh my goodness, absolutely it is. Wow. Oh my yeah. goodness, just sorry, just looking at this data, it's just startling. To I know. Me. Uh and then I also was curious about kind of the demographics of these students because obviously there has to be more at play here. I feel like there's something deeper here. Sure. So when looking at reduced and free lunch data, Clayton averaged around 14% of students receiving those types of lunches, as in St. Louis City, they rounded as high as 94%. Wow. So almost every single student is living in poverty or close to poverty in these public schools in St. Louis. Wow. Yeah. And when you look deeper at demographics in terms of race, you can see that over half the population are minorities in the city. As opposed to in the suburbs, you in these more affluent neighborhoods, you see African Americans and Latino Hispanics making up just only around twenty percent of the population. Right, and as as we kind of dive deeper into this conversation, I mean, we're going to see that you know this wasn't these demographics. I mean, that's not a coincidence, you know. But we'll dive a little bit deeper into that. But wow, looking at the raw data on top of all of that, just astounding absolutely astounding it's crazy looking at these racial inequalities between the education systems like not just in st louis but in many other different cities uh you think how is this all related to redlining that happened back in those housing days 
um, you know, redlining those maps of different blocks of colors showing this is a predominantly good area shaded in green and this is a predominantly bad area shaded in red with the bad areas being more saturated with minorities and really exposing extreme segregation between different neighborhoods. It wasn't necessarily to outline income per se when you look deeper into it, but mm -hmm. to outline race and class. The areas that were lower in infrastructure and falling apart, those were the neighborhoods that were mostly filled with minorities. So yes, it's a problem and it has ultimately fueled the fire of inequitable education. So looking deeper into the history of redlining, it came about when the National Housing Act of 1934 was established and the Federal Housing Administration, the FHA, was founded. This was during a time where banks were able to invest and lend loans to future homeowners in order to combat home foreclosures. And it has ultimately led to banks denying loans to people in good neighborhoods based on the color of their skin. And for looking deeper into evidence that this still existed even after the Civil Rights Act of 1968, which prohibited redlining, an Atlanta Journal-Constitution reporter by the name of Bill Dedman reported that banks in Georgia were more likely to lend future homeowner loans in low-income white neighborhoods than affluent black neighborhoods. So in other words, redlining was the foundation that set up segregated neighborhoods. It has ultimately made racism inherent among residences. So since where you live and the property tax, taxes your community pays is associated with the quality of public education you're going to receive, it is really no wonder that redlining has played a major role in segregation. Uh, Emma, wouldn't you say that this issue is not just a matter of funding, but a larger issue of racism? Oh, this is definitely still, th this is still an issue of racism today, without a doubt. Um, even though maybe we're not living in the, the era of Jim Crow anymore, um, that doesn't mean that the effects of these things magically disappear. And that's precisely what's happening in, in cities like St. Louis. Um, and as somebody who lives in St. Louis, I mean, these things are very, very noticeable. Um, but yes, this is still, the, this issue compromises a whole slew of things, racism being one of them. Um, and I think really to combat issues like this, you have to think about these things very, like with an intersectional lens, right? You have to think of racism, you have to think of classism, you have to think of sexism, you have to think about all these different things. But racism for sure. Um, and it's just, it's rather unfortunate that uh, at least right now, it seems like our government hasn't really stepped up to the plate and really found a plan to really address these issues. Because right now, having these more affluent areas and having these areas that are more impoverished, um, these places that have more instances of violence and crime. I mean, at the end of the day, cities like St. Louis kind of profit off of that, which is so unfortunate. So this conversation can go in a million different directions, but yes, this ultimately, I mean, this is just racism, just very plainly out in the open.
So now let's talk about the solution. And when I say this, I don't think there is one big solution that's going to fix all of this. It's definitely more complex than, I mean, just you and I alone can brainstorm. Sure, Um, absolutely. Even the government in general, it's difficult, it's tricky. Absolutely. Um, But if I would say that there's probably two key things to consider. First and foremost being integration is uh, integrating different races and diversity into schools. Um, there has been so much research out there saying that white kids and black kids working together, it makes them better students. It makes them better people. It makes them better employers later on in life because they know how to work with people that are different than them. So that alone should be confirmation that integration should be the first step in this process and ultimately the big solution. Another thing that I was thinking of is uh, when you look from state to state, there's obviously different funding for education based on different areas, like we talked about, based on where you lived. Um, So if there was this better idea for statewide funding of being able to take all of the state's funding for education and being able to equally distribute it to each district it'd make things a little less based on your family's income, which for the record, a child cannot help how much money their parents make. Sure, absolutely. In general, I would say because redlining is such the big underlying factor for a lot of this stuff, trying to erase those effects would probably help tremendously, especially with that integration piece but how we actually go about erasing something so systemically mm-hmm. ingrained in our country mm-hmm. I don't know I don't know how we would go about that I mean it's 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 going to be have it, it's going to have to be a community effort right like it's it's going to have to be a combination of things when you are when you want to face something that's so institutional so systematic in nature yeah for some people, um, I mean, some people are able to see this as an issue over others. Um, so there's that whole conversation too. But I think above all else, what this whole conversation should be telling, um, telling our listeners, telling um, anybody that comes across this topic is that um, there are many things that there are many sort of relics of our past that we think we are so so well beyond mm-hmm. um that i mean there i mean it, it's just i know it's mm-hmm. when you think back to like the jim crow era where they had separate but equal mm-hmm. you think to yourself oh we're way past that yeah but then you see these schools of predominantly white kids and then black kids and one is getting average acts of 26 and the other one can barely even go on to college or even graduate high school at that matter. They're not having the same resources. No. So if anything, they're separate and unequal. Absolutely. It's it's still there. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's an, it's an ugly truth um, here in our country. Um, But the sooner that we do something about it, um, we are going to be much better off. 
um, because it does it does nothing. It 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 does nothing to sort of pretend your school system is so diverse when your marginalized students and your minority students don't feel included. It's that whole conversation of diversity and inclusion. You have to have both um, in order for the the overall sort of goal of these two things to work. You have to have both. Right. Um. So. So definitely all of this consider, you know, it, it, it all depends on where you live, you know, what your state laws are, things of that nature. There certainly is no one size fits all plan. Um, but in a way, I think that can be kind of encouraging as well. Um, but above all else, um, definitely just if you're going to take away anything from this conversation, um, just know that I, I, I lost my... So although we weren't able to touch on absolutely everything about inequalities in education, I hope that this little segment was able to kind of grace your mind around the racism issue behind inequalities in education. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is this is a very, very important topic. Um, this topic uh, rings home for many different people in many different ways, but you know, if we if if we want our educational system to be for all of our students, we really have to mean it above all else for sure. Yeah. And just being educated on it and advocating for it is the first step. And just wanted to say thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time. Bye.